Hello and welcome to the Everyday Adventure Podcast. My name is Nikki Bass and I will be bringing you thoughts, ideas and stories from some incredible guests to hopefully inspire you to live more adventurously in your everyday lives. Hello and welcome to season three of the Everyday Adventure podcast. I'm so delighted to have you join me back here again. Um, I can't believe it's almost a year since I pressed go on that very first introductory episode. I can still remember the slightly sick feeling in my stomach as I did that, Um, which as I often say is always a sign of a great adventure to come. And in this episode we are kicking it off in absolute style with one of my all-time heroes, the snowboarding legend, Leslie McKenna. Leslie is a three-time Olympian. She's a coach and instructor. And when I first started snowboarding back in the 90s, she was one of the very few female professional snowboarders out there. Um, And needless to say, she was a total inspiration to me as I took those very first tenuous turns on the slope. But it's been over the last year, really, in lockdown that I started following Leslie on Instagram and she's been inspiring me in a slightly different way with her amazing splitboarding adventures in her back garden of the Cairngorms in Scotland. And her feed has just been filled with the most beautiful photos of her touring out into the mountains and just the the peace, the solitude, the beauty And I have to say, snowboarding in the Cairngorms is not something that ever really occurred to me. But as a result of of following Leslie's feed, I'm I'm absolutely desperate to get my board out and get up there now. So it was with this in mind that I really wanted to speak to Leslie for this podcast. And I am so delighted that she agreed to come on the show. So Leslie, welcome to the show. It is an absolute pleasure to have you here and to be opening season three as well. Oh, thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. It's, it really is. Um, and thanks for the lovely introduction as well. Brilliant. But I suppose my first question for you really is, I mean, I know it's sort of casting your mind back probably quite a while ago as it is for me, but what what was it that first attracted you to snowboarding? How did you first get into it? Because I know you skied prior to that. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's quite a good question. I still ski, so I'm going to put mm. my cards on the table and say I did. Um, <laughs> I was you know, hugely lucky to have grown up in Aviemore and to to um, have parents and grandparents and, and cousins and uncles and aunts who all skied and, and actually worked in the, the ski industry, either as instructors or <clears throat> ski patrollers or um, actually my dad was a piste machine driver. So I was oh, wow. kind of immersed in ski area and snow sports culture from you know, before I can even remember, I, I think I had skis on in my front garden when I was a toddler. So snowboarding was just another thing to do on the mountain. And when it came along, I was part of Cairngorm Ski Club, just the local ski club. And I think the first time we ever tried snowboarding, um, Tony Brown, who set up the first snowboard shop in Aviemore, had a bunch of snowboards for hire and we managed to persuade them to lend us one as you know 12 year olds um, and a few people from the ski club went and you know had a shot on it and shared it as we came down the mountain in our ski boots and swapping over <clears throat> yeah that was you know I guess awesome 1987 or something like that it wasn't until the mid 90s that I got really into snowboarding and I was a bit older. I was really old to actually start snowboarding 
as a career. I was in my you know late teens, um, but I, I just you know had fun with my friends at home on a snowboard. I was hanging out with the snowboarders more. They were part a big part of the local scene. There were a lot of snowboarders in Aviemore at that time. You're looking like 94, 95, 96. 96 was a bumper season. And then in 96, I was on actually on the British Alpine ski team at the time. And one of the my fellow teammates, she actually got killed in a downhill skiing accident. So hugely tragic, really traumatic for everyone involved. And I'd come home for her funeral. It was like the end of January kind of time and spent a few weeks at home whilst, you know, the everyone recovered from from the aftermath um, or processed say so that you cover from that the process the situation and I just went snowboarding at that time and the, I was lucky that, that I think there were a bunch of Bayesi courses on and I knew some of the Bayesi snowboard trainers big shout out to Becky Malthouse here and then the the Boardwise crew um, I think they lent me a snowboard or I borrowed one I can't remember how I even got a snowboard and took me snowboarding I think they must have you know probably felt sorry for me and and then um, you know thought that I might need some fun um and for whatever, whatever their motivations were they helped me to learn to snowboard and I, I became you know I just fell in love with it I became so like obsessed with going snowboarding that when I went back out to finish my season on the the Alpine Europa Cup tour I, I'd taken my snowboard that I'd got given maybe I bought it I can't remember and um, with me and after gate training in the morning I would off I'd go on my own snowboarding on the soft soft boot snowboard setup and um, and just kind of taught myself how to do it and um, which I laugh at now I think that's hilarious and then by the end of that season another a bit of serendipity um, happened and that at the British Alpine Ski Championship somebody crashed into me in the the finish of the dual slalom they had this dual slalom race on and it the result of that was I couldn't put my ski boots on anymore because they crashed into my shins and the shins all swole up but I could put my soft snowboard boots on and it just so happened that the British snowboarding champs were on just around the corner so I hitched a lift around the corner to Marybelle and never looked back that's how I got into snowboarding. Wow. I mean, it's really interesting, isn't it? Something that for somebody, you know, in terms of an injury would be really shattering actually enabled you to then go on and do, you know, what what you love doing. I love the fact that you, I mean, how did you have the energy to go from jumping from the, the skiing straight into the snowboarding as well? That's amazing. Um, but I guess, so you went on to have this really successful career. You compete at the Olympics. I mean, just amazing. And then sort of moved into, I guess, the more sort of the coaching instructing side of it. I guess at what point did, have you always sort of enjoyed doing the backcountry side of snowboarding as well? And so for those of you who don't snowboard, that's sort of, you know, getting away from the pistes and the lifts and, and trekking out off piste. Has that always been part of it for you too? Or is that something that you moved more into as you, as I suppose the competitive side of things eased off? You know, I've, I've reflected on this a lot and, you know, having set up wandering workshops this year to put on split board workshops which unfortunately couldn't run due to COVID um, but we you know a big huge driver for me a huge passion for me 
is the experience of being in the mountains, of being in the in the back country, of engaging with the environment, of making sense of the environment and my relationship and relationship with it and to it, and um, both internally and externally. And my first memories of being up the mountain, and you're going back to when I'm, you know, five, six, seven years old, are of snow plowing on the snow and the snow creating patterns that looked like the feathers in the angel wings. It must have been Christmas time and we must have been making Christmas angels for the tree. And I was fascinated by these patterns that I could make in the snow by sliding my skis sideways across. It must have been good snow, must have been powdery for Scotland. Um, by sliding my skis across the snow. And then later on, as a nine, ten-year-old, my first backcountry experience was with my dad. And it, he'd let me skive off school this one day, which was a really rare occurrence. In fact, I think it was the only time I can remember. My, I don't know where my mum was on some training day or something. Not sure she'd endorsed the skies. And my dad took me skiing and, and we went into the back country or the side, I'm going to call it side country. Corrie Louis Moore on Cairngorm is the, the furthest um, looker's left bowl but outside of the ski resort and he took me there and we skied um, on angel dust that's all I can describe it as or fairy dust it, it was um, powder snow that had um, had bitterly faceted crystals on top of it and the sun was hitting these crystals and it looked like it was um, had been sprayed with fairy glitter everywhere yes. and the, it was really cold so the the crystals were hanging in the air and kind of glitter ghosts and to this day that just you know that memory blew me away you know that was magical for me and to be skiing in that environment in the mountains in this like otherworldly space was something that I obviously really took to heart <laughs> because you know I, I still feel like that to this day on that kind of day when it's cold and and crisp and there's snow crystals in the air and they're glittering I, I do feel like it's almost like a magical world so um I, I think my draw towards the back country was there from a really young age it's incredible when you talk about it as well, because it's, you know, you, I mean, you can picture it so clearly. It's almost like that memory so recent for you as well, just in the way you describe it. It's amazing. And I suppose just sort of leading on from that is there are so many benefits. And I know that, you know, all the guests that I have when they come on the podcast and we talk about the outdoors, you know, that there's so many potential benefits of getting out there. But I suppose particularly for you, what are the benefits you've really experienced from being there? Uh, you know, I think the benefits are are many. So not only are there um, the physical benefits, the mental health benefits of just having your own space, of doing something for yourself with people who share a passion, the benefits in terms of how backcountry experiences can help you understand yourself and how you work and how you learn are fascinating and very powerful as well. And then to reflect, I, I spent a lot of time reflecting on this um, from a coaching perspective, you know, um, how do you, you know, what is knowledge? What is experience? What is expertise? How do they interact together? How do you create those? How do you help others create those and um, create um, that kind of development within themselves? And I think you need a rich and ever-changing environment to be able to do that. 
and that's exactly what you get in the backcountry. And, you know, obviously a little bit of risk and complex decision-making, that's, you know, I think that's important for self-actualization um, and to do it in such a um, natural and wholesome environment. I'm sure you can get risk and complex decision-making in many other ways. Um, forms of self-actualization I'm sure can happen in, you know, I don't know, environments like banking, but to to be able to have that in a natural environment that's connected connected to the natural world, I think really brings home that humans are part of that natural world and you're part of the processes. You're affected as a, I'm just going to say mammal, by the weather systems, by the natural systems. And your, your capacity to learn and to know both again internal and external can be developed through your experiences in the backcountry. No, I, I mean, yeah, there's so much in what you've said that, you know, I completely agree with. And I know, you know, a lot of what I talk about is in terms of how, you know, that point you make about risk, actually, how when we take ourselves out of our comfort zones, even if it's, you know, just a little bit rather than completely terrifying ourselves necessarily, but just to that point where we're not sure whether we can manage something, actually teach, like you said, teaches you so much about what you're capable of and enables you to cope with that uncertainty as well, which I think is such a big part of life, but the bit that we try and control all the time. So, I mean, I think, you know, what you said there just sort of resonates so much. And I guess probably in a way is going to answer my next question, which is around, because you mentioned your wandering workshops that you set up recently and, and really the inspiration behind that and, you know, where the idea came from. And I guess who are, who are you looking to encourage into that sort of split boarding environment? So the, the wandering workshops um, kind of have been in the wings for, I'd say, a good few years. And really, they were born out of discussions, often split boarding or trail running or mountain biking or hiking with like minded friends um, about the culture of action sports and um, snowboarding, certainly, but action sports in general and um, about the climate emergency, about responsibility to nature and to the environment if you are a participant uh, or a passionate user of outdoor spaces and um, about um, supporting others and then on the other hand so from that I guess um, socio-political space into more of a, a creativity and innovation people development health and well-being kind of space and um, in terms of mindfulness and creativity, the interplay between mindfulness, creativity and adventure, the, the way that um, the natural environment can support those creative processes and how creative processes and capacities also inform those more political and, and I'm going to say social, social responsibility, social and environmental environmental responsibility aspects in your life so it's a real hybrid and I think what we were so I, I set up bonding workshops with with Hannah Bailey who is Neon Stash and is a photographer and journalist and when we were discussing how we interpreted our backcountry experiences I'd often use a lens of coaching or learning and um, 
sometimes yoga and mindfulness because that's my background that's my expertise and she'd use a lens of storytelling and photography but very often we'd end up in the same place and we find that really interesting and it's an area I think that if you look in action sports it's very often there but very rarely presented together and to take it away from the dominant narrative of you know, conquering steep, narrow lines or first ascents or um, out of the, the space of of um, struggle and um, conquering and more into the space of becoming and sharing is was our intention. So basically anyone who's interested in um, backcountry experiences that can also provide a story and a context for better understanding of the connection they have both to themselves, to others, and the environment is who we're aiming to attract. That's so fascinating. I love the point you make about the creativity there and that that sort of interconnection. I, I was just thinking back to actually, you know, for me, what really what I really loved about um, snowboarding when I first started and also coming from a skiing background, that was, you know, and I'd been skiing for years and I did, I think I did a, a week on a snowboard as part of a university ski trip. And that was me absolutely hooked. And, you know, I go back to skiing every now and then, but that, that pull towards snowboarding was to me as much about that ability to be creative um, and about to interpret, I think, you know, the, the freedom, feeling part of the environment, but also interpreting, I guess, the mountains and the slopes in a way that felt really natural. Um, and, but it's something, like you said, that isn't talked about very much, that actually it's about the the action and the, and the activity and the adrenaline and, you know, seeing it in those terms, but actually, yeah, I, I really love that connection you made with that. And then, like you said, as well about that, you know, that the environment is so very much part of it. So I'm I'm really conscious that your, you know, your plans were probably really affected by COVID and what's happened over last year as well. I mean, what what are your what are your plans going forward? I mean, thinking of, I guess, hopefully the next winter season in, you know, 21, 22 and, and there. Um yeah, so you know, the idea with wandering workshops was always that it was a um overarching umbrella that would fit any sort of workshop that promoted and supported the creative learning processes. So we are aiming to reach out to other partners and to create other wandering workshops. They can also wander. They don't have to happen in the care garden. <laughs> um, you know, and, and they will they will remain with the same themes of creativity, mindfulness, um, personal exploration, inside and out, connection to self, others and environment. Um, but we will play with the access into those those themes. Um, so mountain biking, uh, mountain biking yoga, trail running yoga, hiking yoga, um, those kind of ideas are in the wings. So watch this space. Hopefully, wandering workshops, summer editions will be out soon, and then for sure next winter we will launch the the backcountry workshops again. Awesome. It sounds so exciting. Yeah, I can't wait to see where it goes next as well. Um, so the question I always ask my my guests who come on the podcast, just to finish off, is there'll be people listening who either have, you know, are really interested in, in, in taking up a new sport or going on an adventure of their own. Or I think listening to your, you know, your description of, of the wandering workshops and, and, and how you've set up and that idea and where it's come from and that being an adventure in itself, starting something new in that space. 
And I guess if you had one piece of advice for someone wanting to start an adventure of their own, what would that be? Oh, I've got one, just one piece of advice. <laughs> you can have more. Most people don't just give me one, to be fair. So <laughs> you can have a few more if you like. Um, talk about it to other people who might be passionate in the same area. So it's important to, to develop your ideas. You need a bit of feedback. You need to collaborate with others, whether or not you end up um, working with others on the project um, or not, that doesn't really matter. But to develop the idea, don't be scared to put it out there because as soon as you've put it out there, you'll get interesting information back. And the more you talk about it, the more real it will become. So although it's scary to, to first put an idea out there, um, I think it's really important to do that. That's amazing. And, and and often the hardest part, I think, like you said, is actually taking it from being something within your head or a sort of something that's, I guess, yeah, burning away inside of you and going, all right, I'm going to make this. I think it's that thing of sometimes we feel we need to have it work, fully worked out or for it to be perfect and ready to go before we share it, um, rather than, you know, like you said, actually part of the development process is that sharing with other people and, and collaborating and getting their thoughts and ideas too. Leslie, thank you so much. That's been absolutely amazing. Um, if people want to find out more about you, more about the workshops, where can they go? I think the best place to go currently would be Wandering Workshops website, so wanderingworkshops.com, wandering WRK shops on Instagram. Um, so there's a bit of information on there and through the Wandering Workshops projects, there's been a few little bits of media. I think White Lines um, wrote an article and Board Source magazine also wrote an article. So, um, yeah, have a wee look around and, and get in touch, you know, get in touch through the Wandering Workshops website. Brilliant. And I'll pop all those links in the show notes as well so that people can find them easily. And um, thank you so much again. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. And yeah, really looking forward to seeing where it all goes as well. Well, thank you. And hopefully see you on the mountain at some point. That would be incredible. Thanks so much again, Leslie. Take care. Bye. Thanks. So I really hope you enjoyed that conversation with Leslie as much as I did. What I wanted to pick up on this week was her point about the narrative, the dominant narrative that often comes around action sports, but a lot of sports, um, outdoor adventure sports, I think, which can be around conquering, around dominating the environment around you, about succeeding against the odds and going higher, going steeper, achieving first, going bigger, going longer, whatever it is. And I know we've talked about it previously in previous seasons on the podcast that because of that, actually the access to these adventures can feel really difficult. For those of us who might be starting a new sport or trying a new activity for the first time or wanting to take those very first steps, it can feel like what we're doing is not enough that it's not challenging, that it's not really an adventure, even though it actually may very well be an adventure for us. And I guess what I'm thinking is, is how that narrative can be really excluding in some ways. And that I think what Leslie is doing and so many of the guests I've spoken to are doing about trying to change that narrative about, about trying to make outdoor spaces, activities, action sports, whatever their area is, more inclusive, open for everybody to enjoy. And I think that ties really closely into to Leslie's point as well about connecting with the environment is such a huge part of being in the outdoors. That's why 
so many of us are attracted or want to, to be out there in the first place, but that sometimes we can lose that connection when we're focusing on the activity itself. And I'm sure it's something that anyone who's ever experienced the mountains or, you know, wonderful outdoor space is the first thing that hits you. I know for me, every time I travel to the Alps, the first thing that hits me is I come off, you come off the motorway and you start to see those those peaks rise above you. And it's just sheer awe, just the scale, the beauty that, you know, and and when you're in those environments that it just, that's that's such a huge part of the experience. And that actually, if we can focus on that as being such an important part of the experience, maybe the other bits that, not to say that there isn't a place for sort of challenging ourselves and, and pushing our our own, you know, knowledge of what we can do, but also that such a huge part of that experience is just about being, is just about connecting in whatever way that looks like for us. And I certainly know that was something huge for me that I adjusted to when I had children, when I started to not have that same independence of, of travel that I'd always been used to or independence of, of being able to pick up and do the things and do them in whatever way I like. But adapting your perception of what that activity is about, that for me, popping down a, a blue run sometimes and just enjoying the, the little lips off the side, that is just as much fun as going bigger and steeper. So I'd love to know your thoughts. Please do, as always, get in touch, reach out to me. I am on Instagram, Resilience at Work. You can find me on LinkedIn, Nikki Bass. You can visit my website, resiliencework.co.uk. And please feel free to drop me a message, leave me a review if you're enjoying this podcast. I'd love to know what you think. And otherwise, I will be back again next week with episode two of season three and another incredible guest to share with you. Hope you have a fantastic week and speak to you soon. Bye.